Hello and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Dan Malthrop, CEO here and a proud member. It's Thursday, September 9th, and we're joined by Kristen Baird Adams, President of the City Club Board of Directors and Chief of Staff of PNC Financial Services Office of the Regional Presidents. Kristen Baird Adams will introduce our esteemed guest speaker today. Thanks, Dan, and good afternoon. On behalf of the City Club Board staff and all of our members and guests, I am honored to introduce today's forum, Strengthening America's Economy by Building Back Better, featuring our nation's 40th Secretary of Commerce, Gina Raimondo. At the top of Secretary Raimondo's agenda is a simple but vital mission, to spur good paying jobs, empower entrepreneurs to innovate and grow, and to help American workers and businesses compete. The work ahead, however, is anything but simple for Secretary Raimondo and her team, including Native Clevelander and Deputy Commerce Secretary Don Graves, as they navigate the complex and far-reaching work of the Commerce Department amidst the continued challenges of a global pandemic. The granddaughter of Italian immigrants, a graduate of Harvard and Yale Law, a Rhodes Scholar, Secretary Raimondo draws on a mix of public and private sector experience. After finding considerable success in the world of venture investing, she turned to elected office in public service, serving as Rhode Island's general treasurer before becoming the state's 75th and first female governor prior to her appointment to the Biden administration during her second term. During today's forum, Secretary Raimondo will offer some remarks on the economy and the administration's Build Back Better agenda. Engage, she'll engage in dialogue with our CEO, Dan Moldrup, and of course, take your questions. Madam Secretary, welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you so much for that kind introduction. And a big thank you to all of you for uh, letting me address you today and for, for giving me the slot on such short notice. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. My Deputy Secretary, Don Graves, is a little jealous that I get to be with you today um, and he's not here, but I can assure you he's Cleveland's biggest cheerleader and would love to be with you uh, anytime, anytime soon. I also love Cleveland, having spent a lot of time there when I was in the private sector and hope to one day be able to do this uh, with you all in person. But this is um, important that I speak to you this afternoon because as you know, the Biden administration is working so intently with Congress to pass the president's Build Back Better agenda. And I just wanted to have the opportunity to speak with you directly about that agenda, talking about why it's so important for businesses in the country and to give you an opportunity to ask me a few questions. Um, the president's uh, proposal is ambitious. It's necessarily ambitious. And it's, it's working its way now through the legislative process. Uh, it's currently been encapsulated into two packages, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Package and the Build Back Better Act. Um, and I wanna take a few minutes of your time this afternoon to go through each of these. But before I do, I do think it's important uh, that we just pause for a minute and remind ourselves of the context in which the president has proposed these two ambitious proposals to Congress, which is to say when the president came into office earlier this year, 
we as a nation face truly unprecedented times. We were, he, we are facing several uh, crises all at once. Of course, we have the healthcare crisis of COVID, which has in turn led to an economic crisis. Uh, and then all of this is further exacerbated by the inequity that we face in our country, faced particularly by people of color, women, and those in underserved communities. And then overlaying all of that um, is, is the challenges presented by the climate change crisis. So we, we have a lot before us and are determined to address all of these issues and are required to do it all at the same time. Now, it's not all bad news. Um, despite the Delta variant, as all of you know, we continue to see a strong economic recovery. In August, the unemployment rate fell to 5.2%, which is the lowest it's been in 18 months. I could tell you 18 months ago, having been a governor managing through COVID, if you had told me then that our unemployment today would be 5.2%, I'm not sure I would have believed that that was possible. We're the only developed country in the world whose economy is now bigger than it was before the pandemic. And you know this is largely because of the American Rescue Package passed by Congress, led by the president, which he was able to get done in his six, first 60 days in office. As you all know, it provided support for small businesses, direct relief for families, and the biggest childcare tax credit in American history. Our vaccination rollout, um, I think, has been extraordinary and the president's team deserves a lot of credit for that, as well as all of our partners on the ground, including in Ohio. It's allowed us to progress to the second phase of our agenda, which is moving past rescue to, to really laying the foundation for long-term growth. And so with that little bit of context, I'd like to talk to you today about the plan for long-term growth the investments the president is proposing in the Build Back Better agenda and why they're so essential for American businesses and the American economy. Um, obviously, as a Commerce Secretary, I spend a lot of my time speaking to business leaders. Uh, I try to spend some time every single day talking to businesses from the smallest to the biggest uh, and asking, what are the issues you're facing? and trying to find common ground and forge a path forward for the president's agenda. I will say, um, I wanna sort of begin with an with a expression of gratitude. We're very grateful for your support and the broad business support in the community for the bipartisan infrastructure deal, which passed uh, the Senate with, in a bipartisan way, obviously with 69 votes. And that bipartisan infrastructure deal proposes a trillion dollars to update America's infrastructure, including enough money to provide broadband, high-speed affordable broadband to every American. I should note that both of Ohio senators voted for this package and we're grateful for their support. But here's the real kind of primary message that I have for you today which is as exciting as that trillion dollar bipartisan infrastructure bill 
is and as necessary as it is, it isn't enough. In fact, it's not nearly enough to restore our nation's competitiveness and lay the groundwork for the next generation of economic prosperity. Roads, bridges, broadband, it all matters. It's all vital. It isn't enough. And, that, and the Build Back Better Act includes investments that are necessary to make sure our country can continue to compete. Investments in American workers, in American families, in our education system, investments to address the climate crisis, and it also provides tax relief to over 50 million families. The bottom line is we can't address all of the crises that I laid out in the beginning that we're currently facing as a country unless we pass both the bipartisan infrastructure deal and the Build Back Better Act. And I will tell you, I talk to CEOs every day and the Build Back Better Act proposes investments designed to address the issues that are on your mind. When I talk to CEOs, I hear them say, we need a better workforce development program. We need, we are facing labor shortages. We need, uh, we need folks that have the skills necessary to do the jobs of today. I hear them tell me they need to help women get back into the workforce and stay into the workforce. They need employees with technical skills, digital skills, cyber skills. Well, that's exactly what the president's Build Back Better Act invests in and will provide. You all know the Business Roundtable. Well, they released a letter signed by 181 CEOs calling for a renewed sense of obligation to our country by creating a stronger workforce and a more sustainable climate future making investments in equity and prioritizing long-term growth. They said, and I'm quoting, if companies fail to recognize that the success of our system is dependent on inclusive long-term growth, then many will raise legitimate questions about the role of large employers in our society. Now that letter was written in 2019, before COVID, before the economic crisis that followed. Economic inequality in our country was bad then. And I think we can all agree it's even worse now. The CEOs signed that letter because they know, as you know, that our country is in serious danger of falling behind unless we address these challenges and get to it quickly, which is why I asked to speak to you today. And again, I thank you for letting me in on short notice. The reality is doing nothing now is not an option. We are at an inflection point as a nation. We need to prove to the world and to ourselves that capitalism is good and works and can work for everyone. And that democracy and our democratic system of government can produce results for the American people, not just the well-off and the well-connected. And if we want the American economy to go from rescue to recovery to resurgence, 
then we need to make these investments because it's not enough to just go back to the way we were before the pandemic. Now, we also agree, we agree with the business community that we need to make these investments. And we also agree with you that we can't make them without paying for them. The president has been very clear about that. That's why he has proposed investments that are of the highest value. And studies have shown that investments of this kind pay for themselves. Independent analysis of President Biden's economic agenda project that it'll add over four and a half trillion dollars to the GDP over the next decade, two million jobs a year on average over the next 10 years. Fact of the matter is these investments that we are proposing are good for your businesses. And I know that because CEOs tell me every day that these are the investments necessary. And quite frankly, they're good for our nation as a whole. Too many Americans are being left behind and left out of our prosperity and our very democracy and system of capitalism are in peril if we don't address their concerns. President Biden came in to office saying he was, would find common ground to get things done. And we've started to deliver on that promise. But I'm here to ask you, America's business leaders, to partner with us in that effort because we can't get this done alone. So I'd, I'd like to tick through just a few areas uh, in the package. Our work starts with developing a 21st century skilled workforce. You all know, you all run your businesses. To maintain our competitive edge, we need to make investments in our people. And without these investments, we risk losing our competitive edge. I'd say I've always believed that if someone has the courage mid-career to take the risk in getting trained for a new job, then we ought to be there for them with high quality, affordable training programs that actually lead to a job. That's why the Build Back Better Act includes long overdue investments in workers that will create profits for businesses. It supports training and apprenticeships that'll prepare millions of American workers for high quality jobs of today and tomorrow. Our current workforce challenges aren't just about skills, we also need to prepare the next generation of workers and make it easier for parents to participate in the workforce. We need to make sure that all Americans have an opportunity to participate in the economy. It's about providing universal public pre-K for every three and four year old in America. So they get a good education and a good start in life and their parents can go to work. It's about providing two years of community college so our young people have the skills they need to get the jobs of today and tomorrow. It's about affordable child care and elder care, expanded paid leave. Nobody ought to have to choose between caring for their family or getting a paycheck. Now, companies realize that providing these benefits to their employees is a competitive advantage, which is why so many are beginning to provide these benefits. But we need to realize as a country that not providing these benefits puts every one of us and all of our companies at a disadvantage. 
We need to scale these benefits for people who don't work at the world's biggest companies. Every successful investment, every successful business makes these investments because they know the way to succeed is by investing in their people and their core functions. It's how you all run your businesses. Well, the same is true for government. Quite honestly, I believe it's irresponsible not to make these investments now as a nation. Right now, we spend about a fifth of the average of other advanced economies on workforce training. The U.S. is the only industrialized country that doesn't have paid leave. That's not right. It's not right. It's not fair. And frankly, it's not good business. Enabling American women, millions of whom are still out of the workforce post-COVID, to fully participate in our workforce will create enough economic growth to account for nearly half of the Build Back Better Act alone. Not to mention the fact that those women would be some of your most productive employees, most creative problem solvers, if they were given a chance to fully participate in the workforce. We could also support our business community by addressing the climate crisis head on and lead a clean energy transition. And we need America's business community to step up and support our whole of government efforts to address this crisis. It's pretty shocking to think about the fact that a third of America lives in an area where a federal disaster has been declared over the past three weeks. If you just pause for a second on that, it's, it's mind blowing. Last year, we set a record with 22 weather and climate events that cost the United States over $96 billion. And of course, every year that number gets bigger and the climate events are deadlier. So some people ask whether we can afford to spend the money that it's going to take to reverse the climate crisis. If we're honest with ourselves, we realize we're already paying the price and it's getting more expensive and more dangerous every year. So it's time to stop thinking about it and take action. Making the resiliency investments in the president's agenda prepares us for next year's hurricanes and wildfires, protecting lives, protecting property and protecting your bottom lines. Making investments in our clean energy transition also means millions of clean energy jobs. And these are, these are the industries of the future job creation, and that's a fact. The only question is whether those jobs will be here in America or elsewhere. We're going to need workers, engineers, electricians, scientists, manufacturers to invent, create, install, and build clean products for energy efficient homes and businesses, solar panels, battery storage, and more. And we're going to have to modernize our power grid and build the first ever national network of EV chargers so we can reduce greenhouse gas emissions all of which will lower our energy costs and create millions of jobs. Now, um, we also have to be honest about what this is gonna cost because the reality is these investments take money. I would argue the cost of delaying these investments are even greater. The truth is they cost money and we're committed to paying for them because that's the responsible thing to do. 
And in that regard, I know many people in the business community have raised concerns about the fact that we propose increasing uh, taxes in order to pay for these proposals. And so I wanna take a minute to address your concerns about corporate tax reform head on. Um, we don't have a blank check. And frankly, I don't think you'd want the president to operate this government as if he thought he had a blank check. We, like you, believe in the importance of paying for these long-term investments. And we believe the president's committed to paying for these investments in a way that strengthens the America's mid American's middle class. But here's the reality. It's gonna require America's largest corporations and the wealthiest Americans to pay more. That's the right thing to do. It's the efficient thing to do. It's the fair thing to do. It's not meant to penalize anyone. But frankly, we need the revenue, we need to generate the revenue in order to make these unnecessary investments, which ultimately will help your businesses, your employees, and our nation's competitiveness. We're at this point because our corporate tax system in America is broken. And I think many, we can all agree on that. The US corporate tax system raises about 1% of GDP. That's compared to 3% in other OECD countries. The effective tax rate for US multinationals is the lowest it's ever been at 8%. That is far less than what most middle-class American families pay. And here's the thing that is most stunning to me. The US tax code by its design last year allowed 55 massively profitable large companies to pay $0 in corporate taxes. They didn't do anything wrong. It's the way our tax system is currently structured and it encourages them to do it. It's time to bring that to an end and to do so while working with the rest of the globe to end the race to the bottom and level the playing field for all countries. And I know, I hope, I hope we can all agree, American companies have a responsibility, not just to your shareholders, but to your employees, your communities, your customers, and indeed to our great country. You, the, your company's long-term success is determined by investments you make in innovation in your people and productivity and equity. It's not just about next quarter's earnings. That's not a new idea. It's not a radical idea. Those are basic capitalistic values that form the, the backbone of our economy. Frankly, it's the strategy employed by some of our most successful and profitable companies. So President Biden is calling on business leaders and I'm calling on you business leaders to do what's right and join in this effort to create a more equitable US economy. We're asking you to support efforts to raise the corporate income tax, strengthen the global minimum tax, eliminate incentives to send jobs and profit overseas and ramp up enforcement so folks pay the taxes they owe. For many of you, it would mean putting your businesses on an even playing field with multinational corporations. So I understand that it isn't, it's, you may not meet raising taxes with applause. I understand that. We're asking you to pay more. 
But I would suggest that it's necessary and, it, and the investments that it enables will make your business better today and in the long run. And I would also say to every one of you and to everyone in the business community, if you don't like the president's tax proposals or the way that he is proposing that we pay for these investments, then provide concrete alternatives that don't raise taxes on hardworking middle-class families. But here's what we can't do. We can't abide in action. If you don't like our ideas, provide other ideas that pay for these necessary investments and don't level the burden on middle-class families. But sitting on our hands, opposing this package and doing nothing is not something this nation can afford to do. If we make these investments, you're gonna have workers better equipped to fill the roles in your companies. We'll all see fewer extreme weather events and more resilient infrastructure to address climate change. We'll have a safety net that enables all employees, whether it's new parents or employees caring for aging parents, to participate fully in the workforce without worrying about who's taking care of their loved ones at home. What we will have is a more stable democracy and a sustainable capitalistic system. And we gotta take, get to the business of making these investments now to lay the foundation for better, more equitable, competitive economic growth. And the truth of it is uh, we can't do it without you. And which is why I'm here today. We're asking for your help to ensure that this economy works for all Americans, blue collar workers, entrepreneurs, small businesses, underserved communities, and to do it in a way that generates long-term economic growth and prosperity. And we need partners like you to get on board to help us get this done so we can stay competitive here at home and compete on a global stage. So I'm so grateful for your time uh, this afternoon. I wanna thank you and I look forward to getting to work with you to make all this a reality. Thank you so much, Secretary, Madam Secretary. Uh, we really appreciate your being here with us today. Um, I'm gonna offer a few questions and we'll move to questions from our audience pretty quickly. I wanna remind um, our audience too, that if you have a question, you can tweet it at the City Club and we'll um, present it to uh, Secretary Raimondo. Um, you can also text it to 330-541-5794. And again, I'm Dan Maltra, Chief Executive here at the City Club of Cleveland. And, um, and we're here at a special forum with the Secretary of Commerce, Gina Raimondo. Um, Secretary Raimondo, I'm I'm glad that you got to the like pay for part of the of, of this because I think a lot of I, I wasn't the only one waiting for that penny to drop as as you can imagine, um, but I'd like to ask you specifically why you think the the Chamber of Commerce and other business leaders are pushing back so hard. I mean, you've made a pretty clear case for why these investments are needed. Is this do you when you talk to business leaders who are who are opposing this, is this purely they just want to pay less in taxes? Or is this, I mean, what, what do you think is going on? So I would, I would ask you the same question. Let me tell you what I hear. And of course, I, you know, I ran a business for a decade myself prior to getting into um, private practice, uh, public service. Um, 
What I hear from businesses is, you know, they want all Americans to have access to high-speed broadband. The small businesses desperately need access to broadband. Uh, that costs money. I hear businesses tell me they need employees with digital skills, cyber skills. There's a half a million jobs open right now for cyber technicians. We can't fill them. Uh, roads, bridges, airports are falling apart. So businesses are, you know, constantly telling me what they need in order to be competitive. The reality is that does all cost money. And so I, you know, it's like, if we agree, we need these investments to thrive and be competitive. If we agree, we ought to pay for these investments and not just spend money without paying for them, then some tax increases are absolutely necessary. I hear, I will tell you, on my one-on-one -on -one discussions with businesses, and I talk to CEOs all the time, there is broad agreement that um, the highest earners ought to pay more, that it's wrong that we have a tax system where so many of our largest, most profitable companies pay nothing in taxes, and that 21% is far too low of a corporate tax rate. So I think what we have to try to do is, um, you know, they, they, but, the, but then when they complain about taxes, there's some complaint that if taxes are too high, it'll make them uncompetitive. So I guess what I'm trying to say is why I'm here today is we'll come to the table and help us get this right. Because just opposing the package, you know, right now, some of our biggest companies are spending a ton of money lobbying against the president's package. Well, don't just try to kill it, because if you kill it, then we don't have all the investments that you want. Come to the table and let's find some common ground on what taxes we can raise so that we can pay for these investments. Do you, um, do you have a sense that any significant corporate leadership will go public and like appear on CNBC or Fox or something like that and say, hey, we agree with this. It needs to be done. Senator Manchin, Senator Sinema, get on board. Well, some of that's already happened. I mm -hmm. mean, you see that. You've seen, I've seen the CEOs of, I know, Amazon, Microsoft, a lot of these companies have already come out, I think Walmart, and said, and said essentially what you've just said. Um, by the way, it isn't just the big companies. You know, I think some, the companies that will benefit most from this are, the, are small and medium-sized companies, which, of course, is the, is the heart and soul of America's economy. They're the ones struggling without broadband. They're the ones struggling because they can't find talent. They're the ones. They don't, they don't get to have the tax sheltering in other countries. Um, so, yes, I think so. I just I'm trying to. I guess I'm asking businesses and the folks you're having this call today to imagine where we're going to be in a decade if we don't make these investments today. Like you see civil unrest, you see a level of divisiveness that we haven't ever seen before. All of this has its root in the income inequality that we see in America today. And if we don't get to the business of making these investments, it's going to, you know, we're going to lose our chance. So we can argue about, is it 21% or 28%? Mm -hmm. But we better have that debate 
so that we can make these investments so that we can have a successful, prosperous America. Do you worry that your uh, that legislators and I mean, just the way that our Senate and our and, and the House is sort of broken or feels broken and dysfunctional today? Do you do you worry about whether they're up to the task of actually having the debate and negotiating a compromise? So I say a few things. I'm I'm very optimistic. I mean, I think we just passed through the Senate the bipartisan infrastructure package mm-hmm. with 69 votes. So you know, many Republicans voted for it, mm-hmm. and uh, that's a, a trillion dollars investment in roads and bridges and broadband. So that so so no, I'm not worried. Um, we're making good progress, but. Um, I'm asking you all to step up. You know, I'm asking you and other chambers all around the country. And we we chose Cleveland on purpose um, in the middle of the country, one of the longest uh, established. Like, this will benefit Ohio and every business in Ohio. And we're asking folks to step up and be supportive because it's it's too important. And I, th- I think, yes, we will get, we, I do believe we will get something done. I'm on the president's team uh, working with Capitol Hill. There's a feeling of optimism, a feeling that um, we can't afford to let this moment pass. Mm-hmm. When you uh, ticked off the list of items that, that are currently in the, the Build, Back, Build Back Better Act, which other folks know is the reconciliation bill, uh-huh. um, universal pre-K, child care, elder care, family med- paid family leave, expanded school nutrition programs, community college, Medicare expansion to include like hearing and, and dental and vision. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of this is for, is going to benefit low wage workers and then sort of, and then directly or indirectly, however you see it, the, the, the people they work for, right? So if these things are covered for, if I'm a, if I'm a low wage worker and childcare is, is, is more accessible, that's going to have a direct impact on my employer in the end as well, because I'll be more productive, less worried, better able to show up for my shifts and all of that. Um, there's also, it seems to me, a, an implicit racial equity thing going on here. And I wonder if I wanted to give you a chance to talk about the ways in which this act advances racial equity. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. By the way, what you said is, is I think, totally right and very well said. It's, you can't have a workforce that's productive if they can't hold down a job because they can't get childcare, for example. Um, yes, embedded in all of this is is equity. You know, uh, finally trying to close the equity gap along racial lines in America. So whether it's um, you know pre-K, we know that people of color. Um, are less likely to be in high quality uh, public pre-K. And so we need to close that gap. It ought to be public school. Uh, the same thing with, as you say, community college, the same thing with, with all of this. Um, it's designed by its nature to um, target disadvantaged communities to finally close the equity gap. I'll tell you, when I was the governor of Rhode Island, I put through our legislature one of the country's first um, two-year tuition-free community college initiatives. Mm-hmm. It was wildly successful. Uh, within the first few years of that, we mm-hmm. saw a 500% increase 
in the on-time graduation rate of students of color. And the reason is because these were very talented, ambitious students. They didn't have the money before, so they would drop out of college, drop out because they couldn't afford the tuition. So this, the president's proposal around community college, pre-K, child tax credits, helps everyone, but will disproportionately help those who've been left behind. You mentioned earlier in your speech the, the 2019 uh, letter from uh, a group of CEOs. And I think you were talking about the sort of the, the shift on kind of the purpose of the corporation away from the Milton Friedman shareholder focus to a community, to a focus on community stakeholders. Um, employees being a group of stakeholders, but the community in which those employees live is another group of stakeholders and all of that. Um, it feels in some ways as if the, the, the administration is saying, okay, this is the time to walk that talk and is kind of holding the corporate community, hoping to hold the corporate community to that promise. Um, and uh, I don't know, I just, I, I feel like it's, it's worth just digging in there a second and, and, and talking about that because it did represent a really big shift uh, in, in sort of corporate philosophy. Yes, although I will say that the um, obsession with, uh, you know, quarterly returns and quarterly profits and quarterly mm -hmm. share price is also reasonably new in American capitalism. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you're right. I think it, what you say is exactly right. Although I would say um, what we are advocating for is, um, is like fundamental best practices of a capitalistic form of government, mm -hmm. right? Like you talk to the president, the president, if he were here, he would say, he, he would say, I am a capitalist. I am, you know, pro-business and this, and I am as well. That's what this administration is all about. We want to be supportive of businesses and workers, but we're just trying to, I think we've lost our way a little bit, you know, with extreme focus, you know, companies brag about the size of the executive pay package and, and stock price and quarterly stock price. Well, we also have to talk about equity. Are they making investments in sustainability, uh, sharing profits, paying decent wages, good worker conditions. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it should not be a controversial thing to say that a CEO has a responsibility also to a community and to a country and to employees, not just a share price. Mm -hmm. um, though, obviously, you got to be a profitable company. No one's trying to say that you shouldn't. And I think that just look, the results of this form of capitalism and uh, and inequality are not good. You know, we have a level of divisiveness and uh, inequality that is hurting our democracy, is hurting our global competitiveness. Quite frankly, is making a lot of Americans question our form of government. If you have a question for the Secretary of Commerce, the Honorable Gina Raimondo, please text it to 330-541. 5794 or tweet it at the city club and we will work it into the program. Um, I got a, a text message uh, just from a friend who said, ask her about broader student loan forgiveness. 
Um, is that part of the package? Student, I know we're talking that, that part of the package is access to community colleges, but what about student loan forgiveness as a, a way of relieving the current financial burden on the American worker? Yeah, so I don't, uh, the president has been supportive of that, and I know there are a number of um, packages in commerce, uh, excuse me, in Congress uh, addressing that, but that is, student loan forgiveness is not currently in this Build Back Better um, package. Okay, fair enough. Another question from our community, all of the spending in this plan is clearly crucial to prepare the country to address our crises and challenges on inequality, climate, health, and racial justice. We're also impressed that the president wants to pay for this with tax increases on the wealthy and on corporations. We know that moneyed interests have launched a lobbying blitz. This is obviously a fan of, of, uh, of you and your speech and the, and the Build Back Better Act. We know moneyed interests have launched a lobbying blitz to try to sway and threaten members of Congress, often with claims that are lies. How is the administration keeping together the coalition that can pass, inve pass investment at the scale needed to move the country forward? It's, a, it's an important so, question. It's a good question. We are um, every day, every single day, uh, we are spending time with members of Congress, all of us. You know, I'm, I'm on the jobs cabinet, so the president's tapped a few members of the cabinet to be on that team. Obviously the president himself is incredibly hands-on, meeting constantly or calling members of Congress, uh, the White House team, but also frankly, events like this. Like it is, it is my hope that um, some of you as an organization, as individual companies will um, take some action after this call, you know, in whatever way you see fit to fight back against that uh, big money blitz to let your opinion be known to your congresspeople or senators if you, parts of this you support. Uh, we're, we're trying to bring the message to the heartland that these investments benefit the average American, the average American business, the average American student family. And we got to get that, we got to get out of Washington and get that message to folks, hoping we can motivate people on the ground to make their voices heard to their members of Congress. Another question for you about uh, what type of incentives do you and your colleagues in the administration have in mind to keep businesses from going offshore as taxes increase and wages increase and so forth? And this, I think you spoke a little bit about leveling the playing field across nations and would like, we'd like for you to speak a little bit more to that. Yes. So the president right now um, is calling for a global minimum tax of 15%. And over 130 countries around the world have already uh, signed on to that. So, um, you know, that's a critical piece of this puzzle, which is to say um, all countries have to, all, you know, developed countries have to, um, Kind of harmonize the lowest rate so we don't have a race to the bottom. Uh, in fact, I was uh, in Estonia earlier this week talking to the prime minister there um, and some other some other European countries trying to encourage them to come along with the President Biden's leadership calling for a 15% global minimum tax. We're really optimistic on that that's going to happen and that will prevent the race to the bottom that you're asking about when you do that i mean logistically 
all of these nations have their own kind of taxing authority and taxing ability. I mean, you're talking about kind of simul I mean, a commitment, but a sim but simultaneously each of these democracies with their own like rusty wheels of legislation kind of trying to execute on that. Um, it seems like a heavy lift. It is indeed a heavy lift, but um, listen, that's what American leadership looks like. That you know, president was elected uh, and said he was going to, again, kind of assert American leadership. We're leading and we're traveling all around the globe to uh, encourage other countries to come together and, and follow our lead. And so far, I think, I think it's 133 countries have already expressed their support. So, you know, you're definitely right. This is a, this is, to say it's a heavy lift is an understatement, but it's necessary. And I would say that um, one thing we haven't talked about today is mm -hmm. uh, autocratic governments around the world. You know, for the first time, I think the um, GDP of autocracies is greater than that of uh, liberal democracies around the world. Really? There are many who believe in the world, I mean, that um, an autocratic form of government is better, more efficient, more effective, extreme industrial policy. Um, that's what we're fighting against here. So I think that it's, there are real, um, it's in the interest of our allies to embrace uh, some global principles around taxes because we all need this revenue to make these investments. And if we make these investments in job training and infrastructure, we, the great democracies of the world will all be stronger. Um, another question, uh, and this I believe is going to be our final question. I know you have to go, and we really appreciate you spending a little bit more time with us. Um, the greatest innovation platform since the internet, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, is being hugely constrained, according to our, our audience member, by the U.S. regulatory environment, leading to innovation moving to other countries. What do you believe the Commerce Department can do to improve this situation? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, obviously, rel you know, emerging technologies. This is an area that is squarely in the lane of the Treasury Department, uh, all things currency. Mm -hmm. I would say uh, for my role in the Commerce Department, we, um, we do a few things. I mean, we have several initiatives promoting uh, and encouraging entrepreneurship and startups. And also uh, I am I spend an enormous amount of time listening to the concerns of businesses of all kinds, and then kind of being the person in the administration that represents those views to the president and others in the cabinet. So um, in that respect, I have a very open ear to the challenges and, and can advocate internally, but with respect to the regulation of these companies, that's more in, in treasury's lane. So if people do want to uh, express their point of view, business owners, small business owners, medium-sized business owners, and large business owners who are listening today, they want to get a hold of you or they want to get a hold of your staff or they want to offer their opinion so you can carry it to the administration, how do they do that? Just reach out, you know. Um, first of all, they can, you know, get in touch with, with you mm -hmm. and and we can, you know, give you our email and, and uh, phone number, but we have a website, anybody can go on there. I have a public email. You could send me a note. Uh, we are pretty accessible. 
and would love to hear from you. Okay, well, we'll get that information out. The Honorable Gina Raimondo is the U.S. Secretary of the Department of Commerce, and we are so delighted to have you with us today. I'm so sorry. that I wish we had more time. There's a lot more to talk about. The, the, the portfolio of the Department of Commerce is huge, and I was getting questions from others about the National Weather Service yeah, I know. and about NIST and all sorts of other things. So um, we hope to have you back. If you can let uh, your colleague, uh, Secretary Yellen, know that if she needs a, a place to come and talk about crypto, we're ready. Very good. I will pass that along. You guys are great for having me. I so appreciate everything you're doing and hope to meet you in person. Hope so. We look forward to that. Thank you very much, Madam Secretary. Take care. Thanks. And thank you all for joining us as well for our virtual forum featuring the U.S. Secretary of Commerce, Gina Raimondo. All of our forums, our virtual forums, are presented for free thanks to generous support from PNC, Bank of America, and the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District. You can join them in supporting our mission by making a contribution online or becoming a member or texting the word donate to 216-616-CLUB. That's 216-616-2582 to make your gift. It's just a few quick steps to do that. Be sure to join us tomorrow, September 10th. We welcome Karen Sherman. She's the author of Brick by Brick, Building Hope and Opportunity for Women Survivors Everywhere. And next Friday, September 17th, we'll be speaking with Michael Deemer, president and CEO of the Downtown Cleveland Alliance. He'll be talking about the state of downtown. Tickets are available for both forums as they're in person, and you can purchase them and learn more about other forums and see our archives online at cityclub.org. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Dan Malthrop. Our forum is now adjourned.